I'm uh, reading from a book entitled Men Are From Mars, Women Are From Venus, and it's in the section on how to get a man to talk, okay? A man can be very open to having a conversation with a woman, but at first may have nothing to say. A woman sharing her thoughts naturally motivates a man to talk, but when he feels there is a demand on being made to talk, his mind goes blank. Can anybody identify? Okay, bunch of, you shouldn't have raised your hand. Anyway, he has nothing to say. Even if he has something to say, he'll resist because he feels her demand. And this was a bestseller in the 90s. Men are from Mars, women are from Venus. Did anybody hear about this book? Did you? 15 million copies sold worldwide. 25,000 people interviewed. All kinds of questions to come up with differences between men and women. And uh, man, I have, my copy is like a 20th anniversary copy on this thing, but it's like uh, that was kind of standard reading in the 90s to help you understand how men and women get along. And so I want you to know that what we're talking about today is a topic that has been discussed for a long time, the differences between men and women and where'd that come from? Well, it didn't come from men are from Mars and women are from Venus, even though this was a bestseller. It came from the Bible. The Bible. The opening pages. We live in a time now when gender differences are being discussed. Are those even real? And we're not depending on research, though there's mountains and mountains of empirical data. That uh, This guy isn't a Christian, by the way. As far as I know, he might be. But this isn't a Christian book, I should say. But the idea is, is there are differences between men and women. And where'd that come from? Well, the Bible says that's our origin started in the beginning. And so in this series, last week we looked at Genesis 1, the opening page of the Bible, God made everything. Today we're looking at Genesis 2, God made us male and female. And next week we're looking at Genesis 3, which is the beginning of sin in the world, why everything's so messed up. Glad you're here with us today. It's important that we understand our origins. That'll explain why we're different explains why we're going through the things we're going through and how God wants us to deal with it. Will you pray with me, please? Lord, I thank you for your word. It's our guide in all matters of faith and practice. Lord, the opening pages of the Bible talk about our origins. And Father, we live in a time now when we're making a clean break from the past. It's the 21st century. We don't need to consult anything from the past. At least many people feel that way. And Father, your word tells us something quite different, that you want us to consult you on all matters. And so, Lord, we thank you for your word. Pray that you will use it to sharpen our minds, to open our eyes to things that are going on around us today, right now. Lord, I thank you for how culturally relevant it always is. Give us direction. Please move me out of the way. I want you to speak in the name of Jesus. Amen. Point one on your outline is simply this, that God created us and gave us life. Um, this is what the Bible says. Then the Lord formed the man from the dust of the ground. He breathed the breath of life into the man's nostrils, and the man became a living being. The Bible does not present us as evolving by accident here. The Bible presents us as created beings created by God himself, the maker of heaven and earth. This is a very different worldview that I'm proclaiming here than what would be proclaimed in virtually every academic institution around the world at the current moment. You'd have to find Christian schools that would teach this. 
And I realize that. But we live at a time now where this is, becomes all the more critical to understand that we were not created by accident. And if you go back to last week's message, you'll find there's a lot of scientific, scientific evidence, by the way, that that's the case, that we're not here by accident, that we were created. But I want to remind us that God is the creator and the source of life itself, that he breathed life into us. The reason that you and I are animated at all is because God breathed life into us. He formed the man out of the ground, out of the dust, and breathed life into him. And when our life is over, we return the body back to the ground. And we say, ashes to ashes, dust to dust. From dust you were made, and to dust you return. And that's that cycle. And it begins in the beginning. That's what Genesis means, beginnings. I am the Alpha and the Omega, God says. I'm the creator and the source of life. I'm the Alpha and the Omega, the beginning and the end, says the Lord God. I'm the one who is, who always was, who's still to come, the Almighty One. The Bible doesn't present that God showed up after the world had been spinning for a couple of billion years and then kind of got a few things organized. The Bible doesn't present God as being somebody who's wound up the world and said it's spinning and said, I'll check back in a few billion years when the sun burns out. The Bible presents that God is the creator of heaven and earth, that he made us, and that he is watching over us. The opening pages, God is making Adam. That's in the first book of the Bible. I just quoted to you from Revelation. That's the last book of the Bible. And God makes it very clear, I'm the one who was, who is, and is to come. I'm not part of the universe I made. I'm outside the universe that I made, and I'm watching over the universe I made. And what gives us great comfort about that is, since he always was, always is, and always will be, there's no place we can ever go where we're not under his care. There's no problem too big for him to solve, and we don't ever have to worry that he'll leave us or forsake us. He will always be with us. And if that's good news to you this morning, would you say amen? Amen. This is part of our faith. Now, if God didn't make us, and he isn't always there, and he isn't watching over us, then we don't need to pray. What good would it do anyway? He's not listening. If he's not there, he can't hear. And this is why you will find the scriptures that we talk about today, there's a very clear choice. Do you really believe this or not? And it's getting clearer and clearer in the times in which we live. The God who made the world and everything in it is the Lord of heaven and earth He himself gives everyone life and breath and everything else. It's in him that we live and move and have our being. That's Paul in the New Testament. This isn't just Genesis. This is the book of Acts. Under the direction of the Holy Spirit, Paul was saying these words to the men who were sitting on the hill in Athens. And they'd built so many temples to make sure they covered every God known to man. They even had a temple to an unknown God. And Paul said, let me tell you about the God you don't know. He's the creator of heaven and earth. He made everything in it. He gives everyone life and breath and everything else. That's the God who sent his son into the world, and he told him about Jesus. Now, it's also important that we not only understand the Bible presents in the opening pages that God is the creator and source of life, but that creation comes with it, carries with it a right of ownership. The man who wrote this book, John Gray, he, wrote, he has a copyright on this book. 
He copyrighted it. I'm not free to just take this book and make it put my name on the outside. He wrote it. He owns it. If you come up with a new device that no one's ever discovered before, you can patent that device. You can. You discovered it. You can trademark a phrase. That's a trademark. You own it. Now, you can make a product of your own and just put, just do it at the bottom of it, and you start selling a bunch of those things, and Nike will come up and tell you, you better not do it. That's our trademark. Come up with your own trademark. We own that. We created it. Does this make sense to everyone? Creation carries with it the right of ownership. This is why Psalm 24 and 1 Corinthians 10, 26 make sense. The earth, because they both quote these words. The earth is the Lord's and everything in it. The world and all its people belong to him. In fact, could we say that last sentence together, please? The world and all its people belong to him. This is what the Bible claims. This is not what I claim. This is what the Bible claims. Many, many places. For he laid the earth's foundations on the seas and built it on the ocean depths. I'm the creator. I made the world. I hold the copyright. I hold the patent. I'm the Lord who made you. Now, the reason this is significant is, is if he created us, then he can instruct us on how we're to live. If he didn't create us, we are free autonomous agents and we can live however we want. But if he did create us, then he has a right to say, this is the way I made you and this is the way life works, which is what the Bible says. In the beginning, God created us. He gave us life and breath. And the earth is the Lord's and all the world and its people belong to him. In Psalm 50, verse 12, he's rebuking his people centuries later because they've been giving him sacrifices, but their hearts aren't in it. And he said, do you think you're having a barbecue? Do you think that I'm asking you to make sacrifices because I'm hungry? Listen to this. This is Psalm 50, verse 12. If I were hungry, I wouldn't tell you, for all the world is mine and everything in it. I made it. You're not giving me a snack. When you make a sacrifice, you're atoning for sin. That animal is dying in your place. And people had forgotten it was just ritual. I am the Lord your God. And this is a life application here. We must choose whether or not we will worship God and live as he designed us to live. And in the margin, if you just write these words, Lord equals boss. I mean, if he's Lord, that means I'm the boss. I made you. I designed you. I know what's best for you. You don't. And if you're going to worship me, then worship me for who I really am. Don't give me lip service. Don't think you're giving me a barbecue. Worship me and follow me or don't. Because not only did I make you and give you life, I love you so much that I'm giving you a free will that you can choose to worship me or not. You can choose it. That's what is going on in Psalm 95. Let us sing psalms of praise to him for the Lord, the boss, 
is a great God, a great king above all gods. He holds in his hands the depths of the earth, the mightiest mountains, the sea belongs to him, for he made it. His hands formed the dry land too. Come, let us worship and bow down. Let us kneel before the Lord, our boss, our maker, for he is God. We're the people he watches over and the flock under his care. If only you would listen to his voice today. I am your creator, but I don't want your love given to me out of fear. God is not an alien who came into the world who's smarter and stronger than we are and now is forcing us to do what's right, but has no legitimate claim over us. If there were aliens like that, we would have every right to fight them. They're trying to take over our planet. This is our planet. And there's all kinds of movies made about that, science fiction movies. This isn't science fiction. And God doesn't claim to be a stronger and smarter alien. He claims to be the designer. Joshua realized this. God had rescued his people out of hundreds of years of slavery in Egypt, taken them through the Red Sea on dry ground, giving them manna every day to eat for 40 years, helped them conquer their enemies and enter the promised land. And at the end of his life, Joshua sat in front of people and he said, I'm about to die, but I have a couple of things I want to say to you. And one of them was this. One of the things he said was this. Serve the Lord alone. Serve the boss alone. But if you refuse to serve the Lord, the boss, then choose today whom you will serve. You can choose. There were people who worshipped little stumps that he'd carved to make it look like a bull or a cow or a little man. And people worshipped these idols. He said, you can choose to worship those. They're worthless, but you can choose. Or you can choose to worship the Lord, the maker of heaven and earth. Now, lest you think I'm making too much out of this, I want to remind you that Jesus was the one who told people, he said, why do you call me Lord, Lord, and then don't do what I say? Jesus said this. Why do you call me boss and then not show up for work? Why do you call me boss and then not carry out an assignment, though you know full well what to do? Why do you do this? Don't call me Lord. Don't give me lip service. Either I'm Lord or I'm not. And this is the choice throughout all of Scripture. This is the choice we're going to be talking about that Adam and Eve had to make in the garden. That's next week. The reason we're going through this series, Genesis 1, Genesis 2, Genesis 3, is that the opening pages of the Bible are so apropos for the time in which we live. It makes me laugh when people say, well, the Bible's so out of date. That doesn't have anything to do with our culture today. It's everything to do with our culture today. Point two in my outline, God made us male and female. This is what the scripture says. So God created human beings in his own image with souls, with a mind, a will, and emotion so we can have a relationship with him. And we talked about this last week. In the image of God, he created them male and female, he created them. And then God blessed them and said, be fruitful and multiply, fill the earth and govern it. It's the reason why babies are born male and female, a boy or a girl. The Bible explains this is the way it always has been, it's the way it always will be. Because God made us this way in the beginning. God created us this way and that we were fruitful and multiply. And so we'll always have children that are male and female. God's the one who came up with the idea of gender. 
This is not something that was discovered by John Gray in the 90s, so he could make a lot of money selling a book. This is something that God told Moses to write down. Moses was the one who wrote this down. And the Bible tells us that he spoke to God out loud. And while he's writing Genesis, God is the one inspiring him to write these things down because we need to know this. A couple of things fall out from that. First of all, God designed men and women to be complementary, not identical. Where do we get that idea? Genesis 2. Then the Lord God said, it's not good for the man to be alone. I'll make a helper who is just right for him. Not identical, but compatible. Complementary. So the Lord God formed from the ground all the wild animals and the birds of the sky, and he brought them to the man to see what he would call them. And the man chose a name for each one, gave names to all the livestock, all the birds of the sky, all the wild animals. But still, there was no helper just right for him. And so the whole idea here is that God paraded all the animals in pairs, apparently, in front of Adam. There was a bull and a cow and a ram and a ewe, and Adam's naming all of them. We don't know how long that took. A while. And during the whole process, God was using that to show him his need. There was nobody like him. And so uh, he did this, and they named all the animals. There was no helper just right for Adam. So the Lord caused the man to fall into deep sleep, and while he slept, the Lord God took out one of his ribs and closed up the opening. And then the Lord God made a woman from the rib, brought her to the man to complete him. So the human race could be fruitful and multiply. This is the way it was in the beginning. It's the origin of the human race. This is what the Bible says. Now, it's important also to understand that God carefully designed each of us, including our gender. This didn't just stop. This is what I was talking about before. God didn't just wind us up and get it going. He's still doing this. The Bible says that God still designs us. He didn't just design the first two people. He designed you. He designed me, including our gender. You made all of the delicate inner parts of my body and knit me together in my mother's womb. Thank you for making me so wonderfully complex. Your workmanship is marvelous, how well I know it. This is why it's so important to remind ourselves of these truths. God doesn't make junk. He didn't mess up on you. You're not defective. You're not broken. God loves you. He created you. You might know somebody who needs to hear these words. You may need to hear this yourself today. But let me remind you, God did not create trash. You're valuable to God. He loves you. He created you. He knows exactly what gender you are. He made you the way you are. You watched me while I was being formed in utter seclusion as I was woven together in the dark of the womb. You saw me before I was born. Every day of my life was recorded in your book. Every moment was laid out before every single day, before a single day had passed. How precious are your thoughts about me, O oh God? They can't be numbered. I can't even count them. They outnumber the grains of the sand. And when I wake up, you're still with me because you always were, you always will be, you always are. Prophet Jeremiah, the Lord told him, Jeremiah, I knew you before I formed you in your mother's womb. He knows you too. 
Does that mean that we don't struggle with our identity? Does that mean that people don't struggle with their sexual identity? Of course people do. And again, next week we'll talk about we live in a fallen world. We struggle with all kinds of things. We struggle with addictions. We struggle with fears. We struggle with grief. We struggle with every sin known to man. Live in a broken, fallen world. And that's why God sent his son to die on the cross to pay the penalty for our sins. It's why he gave us the Holy Spirit to teach us how to live a new life and to empower us to live new life. But we have to understand that God created us and designed us just as we are, and we are not accidents. He didn't make us wrongly. And that's a life application for us. We can trust God's plan for our lives. David, Psalm 138, though I'm surrounded by troubles, you'll protect me from the anger of my enemies. The Lord will work out his plans for my life, for your faithful love, O Lord, endures forever. Don't abandon me. You made me. Don't ever think the Bible is written just for people who don't have troubles. And that the people in the Bible never struggled with what God was calling them to do. David had been anointed by God. God even sent a prophet to anoint him and said, you will be the next king of Israel. The only problem was there was an existing king already sitting on the throne. David's father-in-law, Saul, and Saul became insanely jealous and tried to kill him and hunted, tried to hunt him down for a number of years. And so David is struggling with, Lord, you made me the way I am. You put me where I am. Lord, this doesn't make sense. Though I'm surrounded by troubles, you'll protect me from anger from my enemies. The Lord will work out his plans for my life. For your faithful love, O Lord, endures forever. Don't abandon me. You made me. That applies to more than just kingship. It applies to gender. It applies to where we live. It applies to everything we struggle with. Do not think the Bible is written only for people who never have problems. The Bible is written for real people who need a Savior, and that's why God sent his Son to save us. He created us. He's the source of life. He is Lord. He is our boss because creation carries with it the right of ownership. He knows better how to live life than I do. He did not design me flawed, nor you, nor anyone else. Do we live in a fallen world? Yes. Do people struggle with this? Yes. But the answer is not to give up in despair. The answer is to come to Jesus and say, God, would you show me how to make the most of what you've given me? God created us, gave us life, created us male and female. And thirdly, in chapter 2, it says God was the one who came up with the idea of marriage. He did. This is also under attack all around the world. Marriage is an outdated social construct. We don't need marriage anymore. Marriages don't work. Maybe it's a bad idea. Genesis 2. God created the woman, brought it to the man. At last, Adam exclaimed, this one is bone of my bone. I saw those other animals. None of them were right for me. But this one is bone from my bone and flesh from my flesh. She'll be called woman because she was taken from man. And this explains why a man leaves his father and mother and is joined to his wife, and the two are united into one. Now the man and his wife are both naked, but they felt no shame. And this is important. Let me give you another life application because God created marriage so a man and wife can mutually complete each other. 
They felt no shame because God had designed them to complete each other. And sin hadn't yet entered the equation. That's coming again. We'll talk about all this more next week. By the way, sometimes people will tell you, well, this is just Old Testament stuff. Jesus didn't say anything like this. Well, this is Jesus, Matthew 19. Haven't you read the scriptures? Jesus replied. They record from the beginning, Genesis, God made the male and female. Jesus is quoting Genesis 2. And he's saying, this is the way things are. And he said, this explains why a man leaves his father and mother and is joined to his wife, and the two are united into one, since they're no longer two but one. Let no one split apart what God has joined together. God made us complementary. And in marriage, we're joined together so we can express love. God created us with the ability to choose to follow him. He also created us with the ability to make a commitment to another person as long as we live in this world. And that's what's so great about marriage vows. I go through all of this with every couple I'm going to perform a wedding ceremony. Do you understand what we're talking about here? When you exchange rings, you're saying, I want to be joined to you for the rest of my life till death separates us, for better or for worse, for richer or for poorer, in sickness and health till the day we die. I'm, I'm in. Here's a loose translation. I'm not leaving. Until death makes me leave, I'm not leaving. I'm in. Even if money dries up, even if health goes south, even if hard times come, I'm not leaving. Do you understand what freedom that brings then? I don't have to walk on eggshells around you. We can talk about real problems in this house because I know you're not leaving even if we get upset with each other. I don't have to worry about telling you I got a bad diagnosis. You're not going to leave just because I'm sick because you made a commitment till the day we die. You chose to love me. You're created in God's image, and I'm created in God's image, and we can love each other. Now, has marriage been fractured in our world? Yes, of course. Some of you can tell me all about it. You've been through some terribly painful things. I understand. But Jesus is telling us this is the way we were meant from the beginning. This is the beginning. This is the origin. This is God's ideal. By the way, there were people, the whole conversation started there in Matthew 19 because people saying, aren't women disposable? I mean, can't we just get rid of a woman anytime we want? And Jesus said, no. No, you cannot. So there's always been challenges to God's way of doing things. And God forgives us of our sins. And some of you have experienced that and you've been blessed that God has given you healing after going through a terribly painful divorce and other things. I'm grateful for that. Let me give you two more thoughts very quickly. Many people will not be willing to listen to what the Bible says about marriage, about gender, about God creating us. I mean, when I, everything about that is controversial today. Many people aren't going to listen. Paul wrote about this to Timothy. He said, look, a time is coming when people no longer longer listen to sound and wholesome teaching. They'll follow their own desires and look for teachers who tell them whatever their itching ears want to hear. I don't want that. I'm going to go find somebody else to tell me what I want to hear. That's the time in which we live. Jesus said, 
God blesses you when people mock you and persecute you, lie about you. They say all sorts of evil things against you because you're my followers. Be happy about it. Be very glad for a great reward awaits you in heaven. Remember, the ancient prophets were persecuted in the same way. We live in a time now where people are saying, nobody created us. We're here by accident. We are free, autonomous agents. We can do whatever we want with our bodies. There is no God who created us. There's no heaven or hell when we die. We're just here for a few years. We need to live and make the most out of whatever we got. Whatever we want is fine. Don't bother praying. Don't read the scripture. Those things are all myths. They're made up for a whole host of reasons. I've been reading all kinds of articles about that say exactly that. I'm simply telling you this is what the Bible says. And if God created us, he has a right to tell us how to live. He's our boss. He's our Lord. And either I can accept that or reject it. And everywhere that Paul went in the New Testament, he said, let me tell you the good news. The good news is the creator God of the universe who gives us life and breath, in, whom, in him we live and move and have our being, we can have a relationship with us, him now because he, he sent his son to forgive us of our sins. He'll give us the Holy Spirit to transform us from the inside out. There is a heaven, and he's preparing a place for us, and he's coming soon to come get us. You can know him through Jesus. Come to Jesus today. But if God didn't make us, doesn't have a design for our life, if there's nobody who cares what we do, then there's no reason for Jesus to die on the cross for our sins. There aren't any sins. There's just bad stuff that happens, and we don't know why. And there is no cure, and there is no heaven. That's all wishful thinking. Or it's all true, and there's hope of a new life through Jesus. I do not expect people to all accept this. Many people do not. Many will not. But that doesn't mean that we don't proclaim the truth anyway. If I go to the doctor and there's a growth on my back, if it's cancerous, I want him to tell me it's cancerous. I don't want him to say, well, I don't want to hurt your feelings. I don't want to be unpopular with you. Just tell me the truth. And there are times in our world, and this is one of them, where we need to speak the truth, even if it's not popular. Now, how we do that is important also. We need to gently instruct those who oppose the truth. Servant of the Lord must not quarrel, but be kind to everyone, be able to teach, be patient with difficult people, gently instruct those who oppose the truth. Perhaps God will change those people's hearts, and they'll learn the truth. And they'll come to their senses and escape the devil's trap, for they've been held captive by him to do whatever he wants. There are many people held captive by the devil. Oh, they bring incredible pain in their lives. And when they know the truth that God can forgive them, restore them, and give meaning and purpose to their life, they're just dying for someone to give them hope. Look, there are many people, if we talk to them about that God created us, talk to them about God's will for us, according to the Bible, there are many people that would just say, look, I don't want to hear any of this. They may even call us names. That doesn't give us the right to fire back on Twitter with angry words, swearing. That's all wrong. In fact, if we experience that, then we need to pray for people. 
Remember that Jesus died on the cross while we were still sinners ourselves. So I want to pray for us today. Will you pray with me, please? Lord, I thank you that I can come to you. You're the creator of heaven and earth. And the Bible says that when your people gather and pray, then you bend down to listen. And so, Lord God, hear my prayer. Hear our prayers. Father, show us the right way to live. We live in a time of great moral confusion. We live in a time where we're pressured in many situations by where we work or where we go to school or where we live. People are saying, you've got to conform to this. You've got to abandon that. That's happening now. And so, Lord, I pray that you will give us courage and clear convictions about your word. I pray that you will give us the right words to say in gentleness and in love to remind people that you love us, you forgive us, and there's always hope in the name of Jesus. Thank you for your love. Thank you for making us wonderfully complex. Lord, I pray that you would put people on our path today who are so discouraged about who they are or the way they look or how life has turned out, and that, Lord, we could remind them you love us, you can restore us, you give us new hope, that we can give hope and promise of a better life to people even though they've been painfully hurt through a bad marriage or painfully hurt through things in life. God, you restore us, you heal us, and you give us new direction. Oh, let us be agents of peace. Let us be ambassadors of hope. Let us be your hands and your feet to a world. Let us be light in a dark place. Father, I pray these things in the wonderful name of Christ our Lord. Amen.